Thanks for downloading and welcome to your take or the podcast from Dream, Queen's Medical Centre, Nottingham. In this episode, we'll be discussing taking a sexual history. As ever, all information is correct at the time of recording. Any and all guidelines mentioned are correct for Nottingham University Hospital's NHS Trust. Other trust guidelines may vary. All views and opinions are the speaker's own. Hello, welcome back to Take Orally, and uh, delighted that uh, today we've got with us uh, Dr. Katie Boke. You are ST6 in Community Sexual and Reproductive Health. Hello, Katie. Hi there, good morning. Good morning. Uh, and we're going to do a, a short series of uh, gum podcasts. Uh, so we thought we'd start this one with sexual history taking, a nice introduction. Um, this can be, I, I do a little bit of this in A&E, it can be quite an awkward topic, um, but I think if you have a if you have a strategy in mind it can make it easier, can't it? It can be, yes, and it can be difficult to bring up in A&E as well, it's much easier for us in sexual health and people know they're coming in to talk about sex, but for you guys yeah, it can be a bit more tricky, so hopefully this will just give you some of the basics as to where to go and give you a bit more confidence in doing that. <laughs> Uh, okay, so I suppose just as an a opening question, um, how is sexual health history taking different to a general medical history taking? Well, some of it is quite similar, as you'll see while we go through, but the, I guess the main differences are that in this we're going to be asking about different sexual partners, which you're not normally asking about. Usually, you probably only discuss that with your close friends, if anybody, and also about what different sexual practices people might do, which again, people are not very used to discussing. Mm. Um, so it's not really routine for us to be asking about this, which makes it a bit different. The patient's quite often embarrassed, so we need to make sure that we're not embarrassed when we're asking about it otherwise it makes for a very embarrassing consultation all round. Absolutely. What do we need to know then? What, what's, what's the information we need to get out of our patient? So you do need to know all the general things in terms of the presenting complaint, history of presenting complaint, medical surgical medication history. So all of that is the same, that's what we're used to doing. Um, also the gynae history for women is particularly relevant um, and there's social history in terms of drugs, alcohol, um, smoking etc. But then we also need the sexual history, so we want to know who they've been having sex with, what type of sex they were having and when they had sex so that we can find out what tests are going to be accurate and what ones we might need to do. Mm. And from the medical history point of view, what do you need to know that helps us for, for the sexual health history? Well, sometimes um, medical conditions can present on the genitals. So you might have somebody that has um, psoriasis, for example, but we're seeing it on the genitals. So it's helpful to know if they've got any skin conditions. Sometimes uh, STIs can present elsewhere on the body. So um, things like scabies can present with a rash elsewhere. They might have lumps on the genitals, but they might just have it in their elbow creases and between their fingers um, and syphilis is obviously known as the great imitator it can act like anything so they might just have lymphadenopathy or they might have a general body rash um, so we want to have a full medical history so we know what medical conditions they already have and that helps us to decide whether something that we're seeing on the genitals might actually be not sexual health related at all but just presenting there and um, when we're talking about the social history, aside from their partners and, and what they've been doing with them, uh, what other social history do you need to know? Um, well, we want to know about alcohol and drugs in terms of whether or not this might be adding to any potential um, risks for transmission um, or if they're you know, getting really drunk regularly, then they might be more at risk of mm -hmm. not using condoms, that kind of thing. So we want to know from that point of view, from just some general health promotion advice. Um, but also there are some things, so um, some drugs might interact with some of the medications we give. We use quite a bit of metronidazole, which um, is affected with alcohol. And also in terms of smoking, 
if somebody has warts and they smoke, they're more likely to have recurrences and they might be more difficult to treat. Um, so that's another good reason not to smoke. Um, and smoking is also associated with bacterial vaginosis as well. So as well as the general health promotion things, they are actually relevant to sexual health, even though they might not seem to be. I did not know that about smoking. No, so there you go. Another reason not to smoke. <laughs> exactly. Um, so when we're taking our sexual history then, what, you know, say you've got a junior with you uh, or a medical student with you, what are, the, what are the key bits they need to get if they're taking a sexual history? So we want to know when they last had sex and that's important because we need to know whether the tests that we do today are actually going to be accurate or not. If they just had sex last night then the tests we do today aren't going to tell us about that sex. So the window periods for chlamydia and gonorrhea are two weeks so any tests we do for chlamydia and gonorrhea won't tell you about sex you've had in the last two weeks. HIV is four weeks and syphilis is three months. So we want to know when they last had sex. And also because if they've had uh, sex within the last few days then they might be eligible for post-exposure prophylaxis for HIV or emergency contraception. So we want to know when they last had sex, uh, who they had sex with, so what gender that person is, um, are they in a relationship with them, um, which may be, you know, a boyfriend-girlfriend, boyfriend-boyfriend situation, or it might just be a sexual relationship, they've been having sex for years but they're not actually a couple, so you have to be careful that you just ask about who they're having sex with and not who they're in a relationship with. Mm. Um, they may have some other additional partners, it may just be a one-off partner, so we want to know who they're having sex with, how long they've been having sex with that person for, so that we know again whether those tests are going to be accurate or not. And also if one of the infections uh, does show up, then we need to know about that in terms of partner notification. Mm. So advising them who they need to contact or who we can contact. And then once we know when they had sex and who they had sex with, we want to know what type of sex they had. So did they have vaginal sex, oral sex, anal sex, oral anal sex? Um, and that's because we need to know what swabs we need to do and what orifices really that we need to swab. So. Um, that's why we need to know that really. Mm -hmm. um, and in terms of that, we also need to know whether or not they were giving or receiving the oral sex or the anal sex, etc. Because if they are only giving blowjobs but not receiving them, then they'll need a throat swab. But if it's vice versa, then they wouldn't, for example. Okay. So we want to know whether they're giving or receiving, and that's particularly in terms of oral sex and anal sex as mm -hmm. well. Because again, we don't need to do rectal swabs if somebody's not having any anal sex. Okay. Um, and sometimes when we're talking about that, particularly with anal sex, it can be difficult if you're saying are you giving or receiving because actually both people are generally enjoying that sex, so it's not so much as I'm receiving. So sometimes we talk about top and bottom, so yeah. top being the insertive partner and bottom being the receptive partner. Um, what else do we need to know? Was there a condom used? And if so, was it used the whole way through? Was it just put on halfway through? Did it break? Did it come off? Etc. Um, does the person that they're having sex with also have any symptoms or do they have a known infection? Mm. Um, and then we need to repeat all of those questions for any sexual partners they've had over the last three to six months. Now, if somebody's had 10 partners in the last week, then generally I'll just make a sort of, you know, over the last three months there's been you know 50 partners they've all been anal sex blah 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 but if they've had three or four then i'll go in more detail about each of those partners they have so long forever, in a consultation though yeah. don't you yeah wow. um, and then we do some screening questions in terms of uh, bloodborne viruses as well at the end of that okay so so as with the bloodborne viruses you think again that's into your drugs in intravenous drug use other risk factors for yeah for so what we ask for the bloodborne virus screening is um so 
it's often a good idea to give a warning shot for this because there are quite even more personal questions than the last ones that we've just been asking. So usually, mm. say, we ask everybody these questions and it's just to find out about what testing we need to do and whether they're going to be accurate or not. Mm. So for men, we ask if they've ever had sex with a man before. Mm. Um, we tend to not say, are you gay? Because lots of people will not... Um, say that they are gay but they have sex with men so do you have sex with men and for women we ask do any of your male partners have sex with men okay. they bisexual um, we want to ask if they ever inject drugs because then we're thinking about um, other risk factors for HIV and hepatitis so do mm. they inject drugs um, do they ever have chem sex which is about using um, drugs to have sex and some people will inject drugs uh, during chem sex but they don't think of themselves as an injecting drug user so right. we do need to ask about that more specifically mm. um, have they ever paid for sex or been paid for sex um, have they had sex with anyone who they know has HIV or hepatitis have they had sex with anyone who's not from the UK and if so where just to give us an idea if they're high risk for HIV or hepatitis um, have they had any tattoos or piercings done anywhere unprofessionally um, have they had any blood transfusions or medical procedures abroad mm. um, and have they had any unwanted sexual contact as well so that's our bloodborne virus screen to decide if we might want to add on some hepatitis testing to that and also to get an idea if they are going to be high or low risk for HIV because if they're mm. high risk then we'll probably speak to them in more detail about mm. the test than if they were low risk okay um, and so I mean the, as you said these are very personal questions yeah um, and um, I think can make us as the, the history taker feel awkward, never mind the patient. Absolutely. Um, so how do you ask these sorts of questions? Uh, how do you, I mean, I suppose practice is part of it, but, but anyway, yeah. how so, else do we go about doing it? Yes, you can practice with your friends and family. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, so ideally get them in somewhere nice and quiet. So you don't want to be asking them in the middle of a big ward or you no. know, in any surrounded by their family and friends because they're not gonna tell you the, the truth anyway. So make sure you got it some, take them somewhere quiet, somewhere private. Give them a warning shot, so explain why you're about to ask these questions, because if they've come in with, you know, something that they feel is completely unrelated and then you start asking them about their sexual practices, they're going to wonder why on earth you're asking mm -hmm. that. So either by saying something like, um, you know, sometimes when we see this it can be due to an infection, I want to ask you some questions about infection um, and I might need to ask you about some of your sexual practices in case it might be a sexually transmitted infection, so a kind of warning shot that way to do it. Um, and also just be really careful about the way that you say things, so don't make any assumptions. So mm. if somebody's come in with their husband or wife, then don't be saying to them, okay so you're married so no other sexual partners because actually they may, may well do have and if you've said that then they're not then going to comfortable telling you that they don't mm. so um, I usually say things like you know I've seen you've come in with your husband wife etc etc do you have any other sexual partners or when did you last have sex with somebody different and um, that type of thing mm. not making any assumptions about the gender of the other person's partner as well so mm. not saying all oh, your partners are all male or I presume you only have female partners or mm normal sex is the thing that often quite often people say and I don't know what normal sex is but generally they're talking about um, in your line of work yeah yes <laughs> generally when people say oh do you just have normal sex they mean yeah. vaginal sex but if if you say that to somebody then they're not going to feel happy saying oh no actually I'm I doing have normal you know, sex. whatever exactly because yeah. you feel that that's made to be abnormal and sometimes also just giving people all the different options so instead of saying 
what type of sex you have, then seeing, so do you have vaginal sex, oral sex, anal sex, all of them, and then they'll say, oh no, not all of them, or yes, all of them, that kind of thing. Um, and are your partners male, female, or do you have male and female partners? Mm. Do you use condoms sometimes, always, never? that kind of thing so just giving them lots of options to pick from can be helpful because sometimes it's difficult for them to find the words that they want to say as well yeah. and if you've said all the options then they know that it's okay to say any of those options because you've thought that was all right to have said it yeah. if that makes sense absolutely um and how do you um i suppose again you've, you've been in this job for a long time but how, how can any tips on on the on your response making sure you, you stay neutral your face stays neutral that you don't yeah. uh, blush yourself or don't you know my my always worry is that you you well, you never want to appear like a you're judgmental of course not yeah but then also that you don't want to appear shocked by anything the patient ever says yeah i think if you've got that in your mind then actually you'll probably be fine as long as you're thinking i don't want to be looking shocked i don't want to be you know making a face etc then probably you're fine and that's the main thing to do just yeah. have it in your mind i don't know what this person's going to say think in your head keep a neutral face whatever they say is fine we'll work with that it's a lot easier for me because I've been working in sexual health for a long time. <laughs> yeah, um, so I think yeah. I'm pretty good at my poker face now. Um, but yeah, practice makes perfect. And I think if you're mindful of it, then it's mm. usually fine. Mm, absolutely. Um, and um, any tips on, um, say you've got a, a, a patient who's come in with a family and with partners, um, any tips on asking them to leave the room? Or do you normally find if you just say, please leave the room, that's fine? Um, so again, it's probably a bit easier in sexual health mm. because when people come in, I automatically say, oh, it's really nice that you brought so-and-so with you, but for part of the consultation, I'll see you on your own and just set that ground rule right at the, the start. I guess if you know that you're wanting to ask about sexual history things, then you can also do that. But if it comes up in the course of the history taking, that can be a bit trickier. Um, I guess, yes, just saying... I'm going to have to ask you some more private questions I'd mm. like you to leave or sometimes if you're taking somebody to the toilet you can ask them you know if you've got a particularly pushy parent in the room for mm. example sometimes you can say oh come with me to do this urine sample and you can find a quiet I've spot to that ask the questions before. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> while we're here yes, exactly. <laughs> and your mum's not in the room <laughs> do you mind telling me about it? yeah yeah absolutely. exactly so that can help as well sometimes excellent uh, anything else uh, no I think that's everything brilliant um and just as a rough idea, how, how long are your consultations? How long does, do, you, do you think a thorough sexual history takes? Um, well, we ha so we have a 20-minute consultation okay. um, time, so better than GPs. That's much um, better than GPs. Still feels quite rushed if you're yeah. doing the, the history of the examination, giving out yeah. the medications, etc. Yeah. Um, I would say if you're, if you're practised at it, then the actual history taking you know you can do in just maybe five minutes or so mm. unless they've got hundreds of sexual partners and you're going back through all the different ones but in general um if you if you practice at it you could probably get it done in about five minutes it doesn't take a lot extra yeah. time on top of what you're already asking about the other things smashing thank you very much katie you're welcome that was the take oral sexual history podcast Find the blog entry in the Take Vision for this podcast at takeorally.com. Where you can find Take Orally on both Facebook and Twitter for more information about research and educational opportunities with emergency medicine, acute medicine, and major trauma. You can find NUH Dream on both Facebook and Twitter.